Calvary Church is located in beautiful Peterborough, Ontario, and is committed to impacting that community with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Each week, one of our preaching team draw powerful life application truths from the Bible. Check us out here or online at calvaryptbo.church. Who had a good Thanksgiving? Anybody? Who had, more, who had two or more Thanksgiving dinners? Yeah? Three or more? Anybody? Four? Okay, on Tuesday night at junior high, a student told me that they had five Thanksgiving dinners. I don't know if I believe them, but if, you know, if, if it's true, you know, like, that's, that's impressive. That's a lot of turkey to eat. I'm impressed by that. You know, I'm Italian, if you didn't know that, and uh, I'm Pastor John Mark, by the way, I'm the youth pastor here at Calvary, um, but I'm Italian, and Italians, we love food. So, yeah, amen, amen. So holidays are just the best, but we don't need holidays to eat food. All you got to do is show up at your Nona's house, and she'll pull a three-course meal out for you, a full dessert menu, whatever you want. It's just there. And I love being Italian because of that. How many of you have grandparents like that? Oh, man, it's just the best. I love that I'm Italian, that I fit into this stereotype that we just love food, and we don't, we don't really need a reason to eat food. If you offer me food, I'm going to eat it. Even if I'm not hungry, I just will. It's just part of who I am. But as I'm getting older, and I'm getting really up there now, feeling it a little bit, and the, the food, for some reason, is just like storing up around my stomach and like my cheeks. And it's like I'm, my body thinks I'm going to deprive it of food, but it should know from history that I won't do that. But for some reason, it's doing that. And, oh, it's just being old is the worst, right? It's the worst. Ugh, trying to get used to it. But you know, you know how stereotypical Italian I am, okay? So I love pizza. That's basically why I'm a youth pastor, free pizza, right? Um, but I, I started running. And isn't that, you know, if you're a runner, you should have to talk about it. Isn't that part of that stereotype too? <laughs> you should have to talk about it. But I started running before the summer and before I broke my foot. Don't run right now. But I ran by not one but two pizza places, Okay? And I didn't go in. That is self-control. Domino's and a place called Pizza Land. That's like heaven. Pizza Land. Man, I love pizza. I love to eat. But listen, we all have stereotypes that we probably like. Like, I love the fact I'm Italian. I love it. I love it. Um, but I'm, I'm sure there are things, there are stereotypes that you have or uh, that people have of you that you may not like so much. There's probably some things of preconceived opinions people have of you that you're not so thankful for. Maybe because of the people you spend time with, the places you were born, you know, even just your family background, people have these ideas about you that you're not so happy about. You know, sometimes even the stereotypes that people have for us for just going to church, you know, they know nothing about what we do or they just associate with us with things that maybe we don't even want to be associated with. And just because we're Christians, we're part of the stereotype that may not be so pleasant sometimes. I'm not saying that about us in this room, but that might be from the outside looking in sometimes, the perspective that people have. You know, as I've been reading through Acts, God has been showing me new things that I had passed over before. New things are showing up and popping up, and I'm just, like, my, my whole book is highlighted here, my Bible, of new things that I had just never seen before. And it's been, I've loving, I'm loving the series. Now, I've been challenged, and I feel like I'm getting a better understanding of the picture that Luke is writing here. Today, I'm covering Acts 8 to 12. So if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to ask that you get that ready now. And if you want to prepare for next week, next week is Pastor Tracy speaking, and it's verses, or chapters 13 to 20. 
uh, just a, a small chunk there. So if you want to read that this week to prepare for next week, you can do that. Uh, today, I'm going to look at three examples with you of three different stories of three different characters in the Bible of this section that, you know, that show some, some main themes that I pulled out here. And, you know, I think you would pull them out if you read it for yourselves as well. But I think the first one is that the good news of the Bible is for everybody. And that may sound simple, but we'll dig into that. And that if you're going to be an action figure for God, if, you want, if you're going to be moved and used by the Holy Spirit, then you're going to have to fight some stereotypes that you have about other people. So let's pray, and then I'll get into it. Uh, dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you that these people are imperfect just like us, and that we can be encouraged by them, and we can learn how to love you and be action figures. Amen. So my first story I'm going to read is uh, Acts 8 about Philip in the Ethiopian, if you want to follow along. I'm starting in, in verse 26. But just to give you an idea of what's happening before this, uh, we see at the end of chapter 7, Stephen is stoned, and uh, he's killed for his belief. He's one of the first martyrs. And then um, because of what's happening, the persecution of the Jews in Jerusalem, the Jews, all the disciples are spreading and going to different cities to get away from the persecution. And uh, we're going to follow along. Philip goes to Samaria right after all this happens, and he's on his way. He's in Samaria. He's healing sick people. He's doing all these things. He's just doing his thing, listening to the Holy Spirit. And then we get to this story here in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in this chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. So why is it important that he talks to the Ethiopian man? Well, first off, he's a eunuch, and they weren't really accepted by the Jewish people uh, because they were considered to be defiled and not worthy to give offerings to God or enter the temples. They were often stigmatized for life because of their castration, but because of it, they were able to achieve high office. They were able to get to these higher rankings because of their lifestyle. Uh, and this man was in charge of the entire treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. And I, I think he's a pretty important person if he's in charge of all that money. So we'll continue reading in verse 30. Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come, to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture, and this passage talks a lot about Jesus. It's a, um, it's a prophecy of who he was and what he was going to do for us. He explains it to him, and the eunuch asks, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about? And Philip begins with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So after this, Philip, um, they're, they're driving down the road, or they're in the chariot, and the eunuch's like, can I be baptized? So they're like, yeah, sure. So they jump in some water, they get baptized. Philip baptizes the Ethiopian man, and then the Ethiopian man goes on his way rejoicing. And um, the commentaries, all these books, all these people say that he was probably one of the first missionaries to Ethiopia, all because of this obedient step that Philip took to go and talk to him. He fought this bear of social status, of social stature. You know, we have this perception sometimes that people are above us or below us. You know, that's not the case, but sometimes we can think that way. And Philip, even though he knows he's not on the same level in his eyes as this person and the people around him wouldn't have perceived that, he still goes to him anyways. 
The second story that we're going to look at is Ananias healing Saul's eyesight. If you want to go to chapter 9, verse 10. And, uh, you know, this is an interesting one. And Saul is usually the main person here, and he's important. He's extremely important. But I want to focus a little bit on Ananias today. You know, uh, just before this that I'm about to read, Saul is on his way to Damascus, and he's coming from Jerusalem. And he encounters Jesus on his, 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 uh, his drive over. On his drive over, yeah. On his drive in his horse, yeah. <laughs> on his way into Damascus, he encounters Jesus, and he falls to his feet. He loses his eyesight. Jesus asks him, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting my people? And he loses his eyesight, and then he goes and continues on his path, and he's just, he fasts for three days because he has no idea what's happening and prays. And uh, what happens next is, is pretty cool. So starting in verse 10, it says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So Saul had just gotten permission to expand his area of jurisdiction uh, by the high priest in Jerusalem to, to be able to go to Damascus and other cities to take back people who followed the way, which was what the Christians called themselves, people who followed Jesus, Jesus' teachings. And these people were all over the place, so he's like, I need to go get them and bring them back and put them in jail and kill them and do these things to them. So he got permission to go and do that. So that's why he's going to Damascus. And we can actually assume that Ananias is one of the leaders of the Christian movement in Damascus and one of the people that Saul was targeting to bring back to put into jail. See, Saul is so angry at what these people are doing, these people that follow the way, that follow the way of Jesus. He's so angry that it says at the beginning of verse 9 that Saul was breathing out murderous threats. As easy as it is for us to breathe, breathe, Without even thinking, that's what he was going through every single day. He'd wake up, and that was the first thing on his mind. It was like, I need to figure out a way to stop these people. Because they were going against what he thought was right. So they were all kind of counter-cultural to their, their um, you know, the, the law that they were all following and all these different things. So he was just angry about it all. So we'll jump down to verse 15. It says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings, and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again and got up and was baptized. It's a pretty, pretty cool story there. Exactly what God told Ananias in the vision comes to the life. Exactly what God tells Paul in the vision comes to life. A lot like Karosh's story that he shared a little bit earlier, how, you know, God gave them this vision, and it, it happened exactly the way that they said. You know, Ananias' obedience to God, even though his preconceived thoughts would have probably been filled with feelings of being scared, of being worried for his life, of anger towards Saul, you know, he goes without hesitation and goes to Saul, and he ends up saving his life, and Saul ends up writing half of the New Testament. The third story I want to look at is about Peter. Peter has this vision in chapter 10 and verse 9. And, you know, this is a pretty cool thing, but right before this vision takes place, 
a Gentile man named Cornelius encounters an angel of the Lord who tells him his prayers and gifts to the poor have been seen by God and that God is going to re basically reward him for it. And, he told, and the angel told Cornelius to send men to find Peter and bring him to you. So Cornelius is a Gentile. And why is that important? Well, Gentiles were people who were not Jews. They were not allowed to go into the synagogues. They were not allowed to do the things the Jews did. There was a separation between them because they were born in a different place, uh, because of all these different things. They were just not allowed to talk with each other or be together. But Cornelius was a Gentile who was attracted to the Jewish faith. He worshipped the God of Israel. He followed some of the laws, but even though he did those things, he would have never been considered one of their own because he wasn't Jewish or circumcised. There was no outward sign that he was a Jewish person or had chosen that life. So he wasn't allowed to actually be a part of the family. We'll read verse 9 here. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the, of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So this vision is portraying the new covenant that God has made through Jesus' death and resurrection for the Jews and Gentiles. And, you know, Peter doesn't know that yet, but that's what's happening here. So to this point in the Bible, the Bible has been for Jews, made by Jews, for Jews. The God, their God, our God, has been just for Jews alone. And now there is no more them and us. There's no more separation. And that's what God is trying to, to work in this story here. He's trying to show them that, look, this is not just for you anymore. You know, I love how they use food. But, it, you know, it's so fitting. But if Jews and Gentiles are to come together in close fellowship, then the dietary laws of the Old Testament have to be, you know, abolished so that they can be together in intimate encounters like holidays and these places where we come together for food. They weren't allowed to be in, together in those places because they weren't allowed to eat the same foods. So, you know, it was important that that law was removed. But look, if for a Jew to take or eat the food would literally mean an abolishment of the apartness between Israel and all the other nations. So it was a really big thing for them that they were allowed now to eat those foods. They were allowed now to eat together. It was very important. Once Peter wakes up from the vision, people arrive at his house to get him from Cornelius that he had sent earlier. And the Spirit tells him to go without hesitation. And he does, and we pick up back where Peter and Cornelius meet in, in verse 28. He, says, he said to them, are you well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him? But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I, when I, was, sent for, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Uh, so he asks him, why, was, why, was, why do you send for me? And then Cornelius is like, I just want to know, you know what, you, what you know. <laughs> so Peter starts to tell him the good news about this gospel. He starts to share experiences that he's had. He starts to talk about John the Baptist and Jesus and what he did for us. And while he's talking, he's not even finished his sermon. While he's talking, they are, um, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they encounter the presence of God in that room. All of Cornelius' family, all of his friends that are with him, they all have this encounter with God. 
And why is that important? It's important because now God isn't just saying that this is for the Jews and the Gentiles. He's now showing them that, look, you have a tangible experience. You saw the Gentiles experience my presence. This is for everybody. And Peter uses that later on in Acts to show and to use it as an example to say, no, look, this is not just something I'm saying. This is a real thing that God is doing. I think it's, it's such a cool story. And there are two main points that stick out to me throughout all of this, all of those three stories. But the first one is that being an action figure for God will mean fighting the stereotypes you have of people. Philip, in the story of Philip, scriptures tell us that the Ethiopian man was wealthy, he was important to his society, and definitely in a different social class than Philip at the time. You know, they wouldn't have intermingled at all. But Philip listens to the Holy Spirit and goes to him, and I'm sure that we could easily get hung up on the preconceived thought that, you know, they won't listen to me because I think they're more important than me. You know, they won't listen to me if I, I have something good to, to say, but, you know, they're not really going to listen to me. So, you know, we could feel God prompting us to go and talk to those people, but we have this battle in our mind to say, I just, it's not really worth my time because they're really not going to listen to me. You know, that thought that we're not good enough sometimes. And then we look at Ananias, you know, he definitely had the thought that I am going to die if I go and listen to the Holy Spirit right now. If I go to Saul, I'm going to die. You know, and as I was reading that, the thought that came into my mind, the question that I had for myself was, am I willing to talk to people that may want to cause me harm? If the Holy Spirit tells me to go to someone who wants to cause me harm, am I willing to go there? And I think we need to ask ourselves those questions. Are we willing to talk to people that may want to cause us harm? You know, do we believe that they deserve God too? Because sometimes, you know, we can withhold it from people because we feel like, you know, we have control of that. Now, are we willing to allow ourselves to become uncomfortable in a world that says, be comfortable, gather things, do, you know, be comfortable, don't do anything that pushes you outside of your comfort zone, don't challenge anybody because it's not, you know, you don't want to do that. Are we willing to allow ourselves to become uncomfortable? And then with Peter, everything he grew up understanding is challenged, right? Jews and Gentiles, they're separate. They're not allowed to talk. They're not allowed to hang out with each other. They're not allowed to get married. All these things. This whole life, that's how it's been. And now God, or Jesus is telling him, go, go to the Gentiles. That's my call, my command to you. And he goes there. But are we willing to do life with people who we're not supposed to? Right? Are we willing to do life with people who we're not supposed to? You know, people who might affect our social standing. So, you know, you, you can think of some people groups that maybe you feel like, if I were to hang out with them, people would look at me wrongly. Because if Peter were to hang out with Gentiles, his own people would be like, whoa, Peter, what are you doing? Like, you're not allowed to be with us. And from the other side, they'd be asking the same questions. But sometimes we can think that way. When we talk to certain people, we're like, oh, are people watching? Are they filming me? Like, you know, I need to be careful who I talk to in public because, you know, people might get the wrong impression. You know, are we willing to do life with people we're not supposed to if the Holy Spirit tells us to? You know, will I cast my worldview to the side if God asks me to? You know, Peter removes the social confines that he has lived in his entire life to go to Cornelius' house. And because of it, we see an entire narrative of the Bible begin to shift. And it goes from that Jesus came just for the Jews to now Jesus is there for the Jews and the Gentile, the people who were not allowed originally. I think something that's really important to remember in this is that we are products of the environment that we grew up in. Often we don't even know the types of people that we keep at a distance to us because it's how we were raised. 
We don't even know that there's people in our lives that we kind of keep an arm's distance away. Maybe two arms, maybe three. We just kind of do it naturally because that's what we've been programmed to do. You know, and as Christians, are we prepared to spend time with people who might be of a different race than us, a different color skin, a different background, who may have an illness? Maybe they struggle with mental illness. Maybe they have a different view than you. Maybe even, if I'm allowed to say, a different political view than you. Are we willing to prepare ourselves to spend time with those people and to share the good news that we have with them? You know, allowing God to use us like action figures will mean laying down our pride and preconceived thoughts of other people, trusting God like these three men, and going without hesitation to where he's asking you to go. The second thing is that every person deserves to hear and understand the good news. Right? It's a simple thought. And like, yeah, obvious. We, are, we all think that. The good news is for everybody. You know, the good news of the Bible is for everyone, but do we live that way all the time? Do we live every single day like the good news is for everybody? You know, I love what Jesus says to Peter. He says, do not call anything impure that I have made pure. You know, I know there's been times in my life where I've said in my mind about somebody that, you know, they don't deserve the life I live because of the way they live. Now, I've said that. I've thought those thoughts in my mind. I've thought, you know, those people are into things that, you know, they shouldn't be. And because of that, you know, why am I going to go and try? It's not even worth it. They deserve it. Obviously, that's the wrong way to think. But I can imagine we've all kind of been in that situation. <clears throat> we've called something impure that God has already called pure. You know, God has called them pure even if you don't want them to be. I think that's important to remember. <laughs> Acts 8.31, I love what happens in this story, this part of the story here. With Philip and the Ethiopian man, Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? He's reading Isaiah. And, and Philip asked him, the Ethiopian says, how, how can I understand if no one has explained it to me? <coughs> how can I understand? How many people in our lives are just waiting for us to ask them if they understand the good news of the Bible? How many people in our lives are just waiting for us to be action figures and to go and tell them about God? To say, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand why I go to church? Do you understand? Like, are you willing to, for me to talk to you about it? How many people are just waiting for that moment? You know, God says that we are representatives of him. You know, our lives should point people towards Jesus. That's what our call as Christians is. Our lives should point people towards Jesus. But if that's your only strategy for saving people, you may be missing the mark. I've been there, you know, I spent a lot of my time in high school being like, I can just be a good person, I can just do the right thing, say the right thing, and people eventually are going to be like, why do you do those? You know, can I come to church with you? I want to be a Christian. My whole school will be saved. I thought that. You know, I thought that I could just kind of get by with doing the right things and saying the right things. But I think our call as Christians is to go and tell people about God, right? It's not just to be representatives, but it's, it's actually to go and to bring that message along with us. The moment you accept Jesus into your life, you have his power inside you, the same power that these three men have, and he is just waiting for you to allow him to activate you. And when I think about that, I think about, like, Woody. I think about Woody, like, from Toy Story. I think about how he has a string on his back, and, you know, he's just waiting for you to say, yeah, activate me and pull that and say, you have a snake in your boot. He's just waiting. 
for you to let him pull your string, to activate you. But it's our responsibility to be ready and prepared for that moment. You know, we see three examples right here of men who didn't do anything crazy incredible. They're not like they're, you know, saving thousands of people, you know, with one sermon. But because of their obedience, because of their obedience to the Holy Spirit, you know, to reach the one, just to reach the one. Because of their obedience to reach the one, millions of lives are transformed. On my desk in my office, I have this quote on a sticky note up on my wall, and I look at it whenever I'm bored, and I have a lot of them there because I'm often bored. And it says this. It says, it's how you treat the one that reveals how you feel about the 99. Because everyone is ultimately a one. It's how you treat the one that reveals how you feel about the 99. Because everyone is ultimately a one. Look, if you're waiting for the big crowd or the title or the respect you feel you deserve and need in order to, to share the good news, you're going to be waiting a while. You know, start using the influence that you have right now to help people give them the answer that they're looking for. Because you have the answers in front of you. You probably already know what they are, but people are just waiting for you to be activated and go and tell them. Because how will they understand if no one explains it to them? I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Look, it's our treating the one, the people who you may think are insignificant, like they are significant. Start treating that one person in your life like that. Think about one person who you can start thinking they're significant, they deserve to hear this message. And see how the 99 are transformed by the power of God once you do that, once you commit to the one. God does incredible things. Look, I love this quote. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Have you heard that before? I love it. I don't even know where it's from. But every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. I think there's two sides of this. Sometimes we can go to church for a long time and we can forget about where we've come from. We can forget about the stereotypes we fit in maybe. That we used to fit in once upon a time. And now we can look you know, down on some people. But... I think we can't allow ourselves to become prideful. We cannot forget our past. And we have to help people lead them. We have to lead them into their preferred future, which is to know Jesus so that they can go to heaven. <laughs> That's our responsibility. And look, no one is ever too far gone. Every sinner has a future. We all have access to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And today, if you feel like you're not worthy of his love or worthy of bringing others into a relationship with God, Hear me as I say God loves you and has a short memory. He, he's, he's willing to move past what you've walked through and he'll use it for good. But he loves you. You gotta believe that. He wants what's best for you. It's never too late to start over. No matter how young or old you are, there's always opportunity. You can never, it's never too late to begin again from the beginning. I want to take a couple minutes here and give two opportunities to respond. But if you're, if you're in the room and you feel comfortable, could you just bow your head and close your eyes for a minute? The, the first opportunity that I want to give to you is this. You know, if you're in the room and you've never had the opportunity to accept Jesus into your life, if you've never had that opportunity, or maybe you're sitting here today and you feel the need to ask God to become the center of your life again, maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, wow, I never thought that I... I struggle with some of these things. I never realized that I needed God to break down some barriers in my life. Maybe I've become so comfortable, I'm so good at going to church and doing these things that I forgot 
that God needs to be the center and be the one directing me. Maybe we've been there. I know I have multiple times. We've got to remind ourselves of who is in charge. But if that's you in the room, if you want to accept God into your life for the first time or you feel like you need to recalibrate this morning, I would just ask that you raise your hand and I'll pray for you right now. It was awesome in the first service. We had two people and we can celebrate that together. But I'll pray for that one hand. Thank you so much. Dear God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you love us, that nothing we have ever done or could do could separate us from your love. God, I pray right now that as we are here in this room, we would be reminded about how great you are, how much you love us, that we have no shame, God, that we can look to you, fill us with joy, with, with this feeling of you know, fulfillment, God. Lord, I pray for the person who raised their hand today, that they would be transformed by your presence, God. That today they would encounter you in a way that they will never forget. God, we thank you for who you are. And if you're in this room today, and you know that there are some stereotypes that you need to fight through, maybe as I've been talking, you've just been kind of aware now of a, a group of people that maybe you've kept at a distance whether it's because you feel like they're, you know, you know, better than you or worse than you, you have those feelings, or maybe you feel like they're going to affect my social standing, so you've ignored them. You know, maybe you, you have another one, maybe it's something even deeper than that, and you've realized that, oh my goodness, I've ignored that type of person my whole life because I didn't feel like they were worthy. You know, if this morning you feel like you want to just say, God, break down these barriers in my life, Give me the courage to go where you're calling me to go. If you feel that, I just ask that you just raise your hand in this room, and I'll pray for you. Thank you. Awesome. Dear God, I thank you this morning, God. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that even though we mess up and we hold people, we keep people a distance from us, that, that we have that chance to reset and to restart and to go full force into what you're calling us to do. God, I pray for each person in this room. I pray for Calvary, God, that we would be known as people who break down barriers in this city, God. We would be known as people who walk with this courage that is unexplainable. God, I thank you that you are so powerful. God, for the people that raised their hand this morning, I pray that you would do an amazing work in their lives right now as they respond to you, as they think about where they maybe need to shift some things, that you would give them the strength to do that. You'd give them the wisdom to do that. You give them the courage to go where you're calling them. God, we are just so thankful for you and for the, and your word. That people like this in the Bible who are imperfect, you choose to use them and you choose to use us now. And that we have the same power that they did. Thank you, God. Love you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. Thank you for listening this morning. At, at this time, if you, feel, if you have to leave the room, you're allowed to do that. We are officially done, but we're going to sing another song or two. And if you want to respond in any way that you feel you need to, if you want to come to the front, if you want to get prayer from a pastor, if you want to just sit or tell a friend of what you maybe are going through and need to just talk about it, I want to give you that space now. You don't have to worry about rushing out if your kids are in kids stuff. We're going to sing another song or two. But thank you so much for coming. And I pray that you, if you don't catch anything, <laughs> that you leave reminded that the good news of the gospel is for everybody. Everybody deserves it. And to be an action figure used by the Spirit, we must be willing to break down the stereotypes we have in our heads. Thank you.